Hey, Nate, how's it going, man? It's going quite well, Ross. You know that. You know, after a year doing this podcast, buddy, I'm really loving it. And I'm amazed at how many people we have listening. We'd like to ask those listeners out there who maybe want to help us out to go to ColoradoSportsGuys.com. And if they have any shopping to do at, at Amazon, they can click the link at the top of the page. And then we get like a little cut. How's that sound? It sounds pretty good to me. It was my dad's birthday last week. My mom's got a birthday coming up in two days, Ross. Oh, you know, how hard is it to shop for your parents? You know, they seem to have everything. So what I did was I ended up just buying my dad a, a subscription to Sports Illustrated. It's the gift that keeps on giving every two weeks. And uh, you could actually get that right now. If you wanted to go and buy it, maybe buy it for yourself, maybe buy it for your brother, maybe buy it for your, for your dad or whatever. You got birthdays coming up. Maybe you got a son out there that needs a birthday present. Yes, Maxim. You can buy a, a subscription to Maxim if you want. Your right? daughter. What is Cosmo on there? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So if you want to help support the podcast, and uh, we appreciate it if you did, go to ColoradoSportsGuys.com. On the left side, you'll see links to Sports Illustrated subscriptions, Maxim subscriptions. There's a link there to buy a Peyton Manning jersey for your uh, favorite Bronco fan in your life. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so that's through uh, Amazon.com at ColoradoSportsGuys.com. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks, everybody. From CSG Studios, high above the streets of beautiful Denver, Colorado, you're listening to the Colorado Sports Guys. They talk about sports and stuff. And now your hosts, Nate Simmons and Ross Martin. Welcome to the podcast, episode number 54. It's a wonderful day today. Nate Timmons, What's up, Ross? You? I'm uh, a little confused. The studio's been redesigned, or what do you call that? Re-something? Yeah, we, there was some furniture moving going yes, on. Yes, furniture moving, so I'm getting you, acclimated what, to what that. What do you think? It's nice and you know a little more airy in here, huh? It's a change of pace for sure. You're not staring at just a wall anymore, so that's good. <laughs> so I can actually see people and work the computer at the same time, so that's Indeed. fantastic. Big, big, big show. Lots to talk about. We are so excited to have Matt Moore in studio, the senior NBA blogger at CBSSports.com and the associate editor for NBC's ProBasketballTalk.com and his website, Hardwood paroxysm.com is on the ESPN True Hoops Network, and it's fantastic. Matt Moore, thanks for coming in. No problem, guys. Glad to be here. Oh, man. So uh, what, what's up? Like, uh, PBS didn't watch you? I'm actually starting with Home and Garden next week. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. I'm going to be writing for Martha Stewart, doing a, a, an NBA blog for her as well. It's very exciting times for all of us. You're like the Ryan Seacrest for uh, NBA bloggers. Okay, well, I'm leaving because you said that. <laughs> but other right. than that, it's fine. And that was a fun segment with Matt Moore. Have a great drive home. Be safe. No, but uh, thanks for coming in, man. Um, you know, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, today we're going to talk about, uh, of course, NBA, because that's what we do here. We are the most dedicated NBA podcast, I think, in Colorado or possibly the country. By far, and there was huge NBA news, so we got to touch on it. Right? Yes, I don't know if you're talking about a little trade that happened with the Nuggets where we got a, a, a bona fide all-star coming. Uh, we're also going to talk about the Broncos and my hatred for preseason and this weird time where excitement is mixed with annoyance because I cannot – I can't handle preseason. It's the worst. It's the absolute fa unfathomable worst. What are you talking about? You don't like watching Caleb Haney for quarterback <laughs> for two quarters? Come on. See our third string? 
CSU, baby. Yeah, no, I know. He's behind Brock Osweiler, right? He probably is now, yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're not going to be talking about the Colorado Rockies or the Colorado Avalanche or the UFC. How do you like that, Timmons? Sounds good to me, man. <laughs> Fantastic. I don't know about UFC, but Rockies. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So before we get going here and really uh, bringing the knowledge down, Matt Moore, could you do us, just fill us in a little bit. We always like to find out people's journey. So tell us uh, a little bit about how you uh, became um, you know, writing for all these different uh, outlets, and, and, how, and now you're living in Denver. And so, tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. So, in 2007, I was drinking a lot. Uh, I mean, I was drinking a lot. I mean, I was having like I, my I thought about having my mail delivered at the bar, <laughs> and my I was getting married. I found this great woman to marry, and she was like, "Okay, so I don't mind you going out for a beer every now and again." But this isn't going to work, so you're going to have to get a hobby. <laughs> right. And so I was like, well, what am I going to do? And, and I used to sit in a bar, actually, and drink with a friend of mine named Corn. And he and I would yell about the NBA. He and sounds we, classy. We, but he is. He's actually working at OMB in Washington right now. God help us all. I don't know what that <laughs> as, as is. civilization falls further into the depths of hell. What is O&B? Uh, the Office of Management and Budget for the White House. Oh. oh, oh. So she's yeah. working on the uh, country's budget at the bar. That's <laughs> great. Exactly. Yeah, don't spill any beer on it. So he, fit right in. So he and I would, would talk about sports, and we talk about the NBA, and I had this really deep passion for it. We loved the draft, and we loved all of like, the stupid phrases they would use, like, oh, he's got such a great motor and all those things. And we'd argue about these players all the time. And so I was like, hey, I'm thinking about starting a blog. That was kind of my idea. Like, okay, well, if I can't go to the bar every night, I'll start an NBA blog because I was really into the blog scene then. I was reading all these sites. I was reading all the sites on SB Nation. I was reading all these things constantly. And so I wanted to start my own. So I started my own, uh, and it was awful. Uh, it was absolutely one of the worst things I've ever written. If you go back – and I haven't deleted them. If they're, if they're on paroxysm, I'm like I wrote some of the absolute worst blogs ever. But then I started to get a little bit better at it and got my feel for it. And then one day I got linked by Henry Abbott over at True Hoop, and it was like – 500 whole people visited my website today. <laughs> like I ran home to my wife, like Charlie in the chocolate factory, running home with a golden ticket. Uh, it's a good I, feeling. It I, is. I know that feeling. I had an equally crappy blog a couple years ago, and I was the first person to ever to post the pictures of the guy hanging upside down from the ski lift with his pants had that pulled was you? down. And, uh, well, I had taken it from a smoking gun, but I was the first one to like post it on a local blog, and I had like 4,000 people <laughs> right. view it from all over the world. I, I know that feeling of excitement, and then it just left. It was fleeting. <laughs> it's gone. It left yeah. as soon and as it The next day, it's like zero. No. It's, like you and, it's like you and your wife, and that's it. It's all <laughs> yeah. sad. Yeah. So, but anyway, I, you know, and one night I actually started writing GameStop because I've been watching it so much, and, uh, you know, it turned out that I had kind of an eye for it. I've been watching the, the game for so long and talking to anybody that I could find to talk about it all the time. And it just kind of took off from there. Uh, in 2008, I joined up with Fanhouse uh, through talking to Tom Ziller, who is uh, one of my favorite people on the entire planet. Such a fantastic blogger, a real, you know, if you're in the business and you want to get a guy to kind of emulate, Tom Ziller is the, the way to go. I'm not sure I know who Tom Ziller is. Oh, Ross. He's the, uh, he's the lead uh, NBA guy for SBNation.com. Uh, oh, he also runs yeah. Sacktown Royalty is kind of how everyone knows him. So well, I just Sacramento asked that question Kings. for the benefit of the listeners. Of course, I know right. who Tom is. Of course, yeah. naturally. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice job filling in for my mistakes. Like, <laughs> good job. So uh, anyway, I started with Fan House, and that was a really great experience to work with a lot of great writers over there. And that really got me to the point where you know, I was like, I kind of want to do this for a living. Um, 
and then two years later, because that's how it works. I, you know, I was I was doing the the day job and the blog thing, which is exceptionally hard. And all the people, if anybody out there is listening and doing it, man, I know where you're at. Keep plugging, keep up with it, because it was like get up at six o'clock in the morning, write for an hour, go to work, work for four hours, go on your lunch break, work for two hours, get your work done, steal some company time to blog. And then <laughs> we've heard stories about that. Wasn't Andrew Martin of PurpleRow.com? Didn't he mention some disciplinary actions? That, he, uh, he may have lost a job from doing <laughs> that. I'm not sure if we should have brought that up. But. Yeah, <laughs> you probably won't listen to this. So it's okay. Yeah. So yeah, so I did that for a long time, and then finally, uh, Kurt Helen over at NBC's Pro Basketball Talk brought me on, uh, and that was a really exciting experience. And that was kind of my first real jump to kind of major professional blogging. It wasn't full time then, still. And then at a conference, the Blogs with Balls conference uh, in 2010, I met. My boss at uh, CBS, and he said he was looking for a blog, and I sold him on a vision for what we could do at CBS with not just my, the NBA blog but with all of them. And he said, okay, well, I'll get back to you. And then I followed up with him because he's lazy and <laughs> uh, pestered him for a week. And he was finally like, fine, take the job, go. And you know, at CBS, they didn't really know kind of what they were expecting. They were kind of thinking they would be kind of like the facts and rumors blogs over at some of the other sites, which are just really – quick hitter, like, here's a link, and here's, like, what's going on, and, you know, I exploded onto the scene with, that, that's the worst phrase I've ever used. Uh, <laughs> I made an impact on a very, very minimal write way. write that down. In a very, very minimal way, uh, because it was the summer of 2010, so, of course, like, LeBron's going on. So that whole experience is happening, and after the decision and everything else, and after we covered it so well, they were like, you guys did, like, 20 posts in the span of like a day and a half and we were like it's free agency this is the biggest free agency in the history of the of the league what do you want they're like oh what have we gotten ourselves into um but it worked out well because of the traffic and then i did this huge post on one of the parties that that lebron held after the the decision in vegas and that was another big step and i've been doing it now for uh july 1st was my two-year anniversary at cbs and it is absolutely the most fun job i could ever ask for um I've been in Kansas City, actually, which, uh, if you'll notice, doesn't actually have an NBA team. Uh, and before that, I was in Austin, which also does not have an NBA team. Um, so about a year ago, uh, we, my wife and I started looking around for somewhere to move because Kansas City is, how can I put this, scary as I'll get out. And so <laughs> I need to go somewhere, and my wife's got family out here, and she's got, she wanted to go back to grad school. And I was like, well, I want to cover the Nuggets because they're really interesting. So why don't we kill three birds with one stone and you go to CSU and I'll cover the Nuggets and leave you with the child and everything will be great. Did you hear that, Ross? CSU. Welcome. Welcome. Glad you're here. I can't wait to hear you complain about the food and the traffic and the drivers here as everybody else who moves here from out of state does. (laughs) At least you're not from Chicago. But uh, anyway, so you lived in Chicago. And Austin, but where are you from originally? I live in Chicago. But, I mean, excuse uh, me, Kansas Austin, City. Austin. Austin, Kansas City. Uh, I am actually, I was born in Kansas City and raised in northwest Arkansas, another hotbed of NBA action. <laughs> uh, I lived in the most, I, would, I, will, I will put it up there for the most racist place in the country. Uh, I myself am not, because, you know, covering the NBA, that would get a little awkward. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm racist against white people, so it fits well, perfectly fine. Well, there you go. At least white NBA basketball players. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so I, was, I grew up in northwest Arkansas, and I went to school at Missouri, uh, and I hung out there for four years, and then I wanted to go somewhere after college, so I went, went on down to Austin, Texas, and enjoyed that. Very so when cool. you were in school, did you did you study journalism, or were you a writer at all? Funny story. So I started. I was a journalism major, and I dropped out. Okay. 
Uh, I actually didn't like the program very much, not to, to bash my alma mater, which I love very much, the University of Missouri, uh, MIZ, but it just wasn't for me. They were very much built on a very corporate structure and built on you need to network and you need to make sure that you do all these things for your career and you need to have all these things lined up. And I was like, that's just not really for me. Like I got into this because I want to write. Uh, and I kept trying to find gigs for years trying to write. And, you know, it's very hard to break into different – it's hard to break into this one, uh, you know, doing writing. And it's just exceptionally hard because there's so many talented people out there. Um, and so, you know, really, uh, I, I there's a number of things that I probably would have enjoyed writing about, but this is the one that I really seem to get and had a really a natural feel for. And when you combine that with my pop culture references and, you know, my obsessive nature about it, it just happened to work out. I think I see you working. Because, sure, the Nuggets are interesting, okay, but I think you're working the old boy of alumni network for Mizzou, aren't you? It's funny. Uh, I have a story about that. Um, <laughs> so it's 2000 and – Did you go to the Walmart School of Journalism? Is that what it's called out there? <laughs> no, maybe at this point. Uh, you know, in, in 2000, actually, I was working at this uh, – it was 2001, actually. I was working at a movie gallery, like one of those rental stores that's, that you, know, you rent movies from. And a guy comes in, uh, and two guys in front of him are talking about the team. And we're like, yeah, do they play on Wednesday or Thursday? And the guy behind him is like, we play on Thursday. I'm like, oh, do you know? And he's like, yeah, I know pretty well. And we're like, oh, are you like – he's a tall dude. We're like, oh, are you on the team? He's like, yeah, I'm Josh Kroenke. <laughs> and we're like, awkward. So awkward. So uh, that's my that's my Josh Conkey story. That's my my rush with with, with fame. Now when you're at, you know over the Pepsi Center, Josh, remember me? Yeah, exactly. I <laughs> rented, gallery. I rented cats and dogs to you back in 2001. <laughs> How do you not remember? Well, do you know too? I mean, CSU just hired Larry Eustachie as, yeah. as a basketball coach up there. I'm sure you're a little familiar with him too, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. Um, you you made a point in telling us before we started recording that you like to be called a blogger and not a journalist. Can you kind of tell us, you know, just for people listening, perhaps like what a blogger is to you and what that means for people that are getting into that field sure so you know it, it's weird because there's there's still there's still very much as resentment from journalists towards bloggers it's very very strong it's not as bad as it was four years ago it's not as bad as it was two years ago but it's still very much out there and you know even amongst some of the more major bloggers a lot of them are like well i'm just a writer i just happen to use blogging software i'm out of that ilk like i firmly believe that there's a whole style and generation of writers that were specifically brought with this concept of blogging which is you know, it's referencing other sites. It's linking to other good work. It's making it's making pop culture references. It's making a tone that is conversational but still intelligent. It's speaking in a different kind of manner than the very facts and nuts and bolts approach. And I think that there's a time and place when you absolutely need, you know, journalism and nuts and bolts and the AP recaps and those kind of things. And they are vital for what even the bloggers do and for what everyone needs to get the full story. But with what we've learned is that people have a thirst and a knowledge and a drive to want to read and consume this kind of content, to, to listen to podcasts like this and to read blogs that aren't cold and clinical and very much you know, without any sort of opinion. You can have an opinion about different items without being biased overall. I mean bias is obviously a huge discussion point, but you can manage to be fair and equitable across the board while also bringing a unique perspective. And I think that, to me, is why I really, you know, I value being called a blogger. And I'm guessing, now, we talk a lot about, on our show, about the barrier and the disconnect between professional franchises, the NHL specifically, uh, other leagues are better at uh, acknowledging and granting credentials to bloggers. I'm guessing with, you know, CBS, NBC, and ESPN as 
you know, kind of, you know, on your resume, does that make it easier for you to get credentials on that? Or do you still have to fight the same battles that all the bloggers do? A part of it, you need to, there is a certain amount, and you know, it's funny, I said I walked away because some of the networking thing, there is a certain amount of networking that you had to do. So I was lucky because one of the first things I did was uh, I, I asked Henry Abbott, I was like, hey, I want to cover the 2008 All-Star Game. What do I do? And he was like, cover the D-League. He was like, they need coverage so bad, they'll do anything for you. <laughs> nice. He's like, they will give you anything. And so I tried it. He's like, here's the email who you need to get in touch with. And so I wrote an email that was like, Hello, sir. I was wondering if it might be possible for me to possibly cover the NBA in the All-Star Game for D-League. And then, like, five seconds later, bam! <laughs> what do you need? What do you want? We'll give you anything. You want to talk to the players? want to talk to the owner? want to talk to the president? We'll get you anything you want. What do you want? What do you want? Like we need a, I need a briefcase of $100 bills. <laughs> exactly. You know? And so they, they were really great. And so that kind of got me in the door. And so then if I had a problem, you know, I could, I could reference and say, oh, you can contact so-and-so at the NBA League office if you'd like, you know, a reference for me to know that I'm not some psycho that's going to come in and mess stuff up for you and your organization. Um, you know, I, I had challenges when it was uh, just at Paroxysm and it was an independent site. I actually got credential for a Mavericks game after Cuban had made the all bloggers, like anyone can come in when he was basically mad. I, I was like, I'm going to seize this opportunity because I want to go to a Mavericks game and cover it. And so, you know, I got set up and went in and covered the game. And, and that was like my first experience with covering a game. And yeah, now, I, you know, with CBS and NBC, yeah. So are you getting to do for you know some of your assignments? You know, you said like you get to you get to cover all star games. You go here and there. Are you getting to travel a little bit for this? Is this something where now you're able to travel to some different events? You know, NBA draft, summer league stuff. Are you are you traveling around at all? Yeah, I I did a tour last year, especially because I've started to do more draft stuff. So what I did was I went down to Texas and I checked out Spurs Mavericks. I also caught Perry Jones uh, at Baylor versus um, versus Texas in Baylor. Uh, and I caught a, a Spurs game as well uh, down in San Antonio uh, and caught a Texas game down there. So I did a whole, like, four-game swing. You know, it's been harder since I had my kid. That that will mess with your travel schedule yeah. pretty bad. Uh, the All-Star game is one where, because of our coverage at CBS, we need two guys on the ground and one guy at home na- navigating the trade waters to be able to post on that stuff so we don't have a, a coverage gap. So what I have is, like, uh, our agreement between the three of us is Ben and Royce are really great at covering the ground. That's Ben Gulliver and Royce Young who work with me. Um, they go and they cover uh, the All-Star game, and then I kind of stay at home and wish I was there and cry because I'm missing out on, on the, the various awesomeness that is All-Star weekend. Uh, I was going to cover the finals like this getting year. shot or right. getting shot at. Getting shot at, yeah. <laughs> I was in New Orleans, and that was <laughs> Wasn't it some sort of All-Star game where – was it Joey Porter? I think was with the Steelers, but he was from. He went to CSU. Didn't he get shot in Lodo during All Star Weekend when the NBA was here? He did get he really shot. Got shot here. He got ass. shot in the butt here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I don't remember if it was during All Star Weekend or not. I think it might have been. I think it was. Yeah. Well, I'm of course, sure. the, fam- the famous one is you know the, is the, the NBA All Star Game is the birth of Make It Rain. That's where Make It Rain came from. Uh, Pac Man Jones, Jones, yeah, in Vegas for the All Star Game, <laughs> made it rain. That was the originator. So and. Yeah, he, he killed a guy or somebody. <laughs> yeah, <his> something. <laughs> That's kind of cool. You, you mentioned you write with uh, Royce Young, who also does a Daily Thunder blog, and Ben Gulliver, who wrote the uh, the hugely popular Blazers Edge website on SB Nation. So you guys all come together as a formed a team there at CBS. Yeah, you know, I they they were asking me off the bat like who do you you know who do you want to bring in if you were to do this, and you know I had I, I know a lot of really talented writers. I thought that Royce would do a great job in terms of the daily content because he you know he writes every single day on Daily Thunder. And he's able to do the long-form stuff and the short stuff, and he's also pretty funny. And I was like, well, you know, that's a smaller market. We'll have more access. 
Um, and so that was a good, good pickup there. And then Ben is just a beast. I mean, he's just every single day. I, yeah. I, I call him the bulldog because the guy is just like rabid about going after stories and quotes and, and stuff. He does so much, and he is so terrific. Uh, they're both, you know, th- those guys really make that vlog go. I'm, I mean, I'm happy to be a part of it, but those guys are just huge parts of our success there. You know, it's interesting because, like, there's this really – there's an underwritten kind of tension between like supposedly between SB Nation and True Hoop. Right. And I've always thought it was like the dumbest thing ever because I'm just like, if we all link to each other, we all get readers and we all make money. Why are we fighting with each other? Like, why would we possibly have any sort of competition? Because I love, you know, I love I love Roundball, I love Roundball Mining Company, and I love Denver Stiffs, and I I, I loved uh, Pickaxe and Roll. You know, back in the day, right. and so like you know, I, I love Blazers Edge, and I love you know uh, Portland Ramball Society. You know, all these blogs to me are, are really great writers, and if they're really great writers, I want to work with them, and I want to link to them, and I want to show people that this writing is out there, so everybody can get paid, so that we can all quit our day jobs and live in Shangri La. That's yeah. a really, really good point, and I think that you need other blogs out there doing what you're doing to keep your you keep yourself fresh keep you yourself i know we noticed that here you know with our podcast we got a couple other podcasts in town here and and uh and we've noticed it recently specifically with our becoming a one newspaper town where i think anybody would agree that the quality overall quality of a lot of the stuff coming out of the denver post has decreased a lot fortunately we have guys like benjamin hockman who's out there killing it on a regular basis, but a lot of the other stuff, and it's mostly actually non-sports stuff, a lot of it just kind of falls off. And yeah, the Rocky Mountain News yeah, know, going Rocky, away. Yeah, we lost the Rocky Mountain News you know, about four or five years ago, and uh, so it's good to have that. We were talking to uh, uh, Gary Miller, who's on the local CBS affiliate here. He's a longtime sportscaster here, and we were talking to him a couple months ago on the podcast, and he was talking about how you know, he loves all the guys that work on the other, you know, on the other, uh, like TV on Channel stations, 9. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the way they see each other at different events and, they, and that competition you have is not to beat the other people, but it makes everybody raise their game a little bit. Yeah, so he's kind of saying, you know, like if, if Fox has, you know, two camera guys down in Invesco, that means that he can ask for two camera guys and yes. he can get more stuff. And so you're building up. And, you know, we link on, on Denver Stiffs. We'll link to stuff on Roundball all the time. They have great coverage. I got to meet Charlie out in Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, we've had Charlie and Kalen on this podcast. And I think it from is Round great. Ball Mining yeah, from Roundball Mining Company. Yeah. that really builds up, you know, and to have you here now, too, to cover the Nuggets. I mean, that's going to be, you know, Ben Hawkman, Chris Dempsey, Matt Moore. Uh, Denver Stiffs, Round Ball. It's it's good to see the Nuggets getting more people. They're going to bring attention to that team because, like you said, it's a pretty exciting team. Yes. So. Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, that was one of the uh, that was a big draw for me. Was coming in, especially. Gonna be perfectly honest. After the Mellow trade, I was like, "Ooh, that's a team I want to cover." Because and everybody yeah. and, and my guys, especially the guys out in New York and on the East Coast, don't really understand that. They're like, "You don't. You want to cover them now that Mellow's." gone and i'm like yes and they're like why i was like because you know when you have a superstar the attention is up and everybody's worried about what everybody's going to say and there's a lot more concern and you know and also it's one where it's like that's not as interesting to me as a team that like this that's built this way with young talent that's athletic that's versatile you know it's a this is an interesting team for somebody that loves basketball not somebody that loves storylines and celebrity and that's what i'm here for is to talk talk and write about basketball awesome well glad you're here Welcome to the city. Thanks. So uh, let's do this. Let's take a quick little break. We'll just play about 15 seconds worth of music, and we'll come back, and we'll uh, we'll start talking NBA, the, the Iguodala trade. We're going to talk about Broncos preseason, uh, the preseason game, and the one upcoming right after this.
Okay, welcome back, everybody. Uh, before we go into deep, we want to kind of um, mention something about some sad news in our uh, little world of bloggers and podcasters. Last week, we found out that one of our friends from com, Tim Allen, passed away. And um, it, it's a sad thing, and, and, and those types of things happen, but uh, he came on our show about a month ago, and uh, we just want to extend a... Uh, you know, our hearts out to their family and all the listeners in the NBA and in the, in the blog world because uh, he was a good guy and he was a great writer. And, and so uh, we just want to mention that. And uh, if you guys want to go back and listen to that and skip through all of uh, Nate and ours, uh bull crap, it's about uh, 45 minutes in when we interviewed Tim. And he did a great job, so miss you at rest in peace. Um, I, um, I met Tim in, uh, at Sloan Conference this year, and I've met him before in Vegas. Absolutely one of the nicest guys you'll meet, and uh, such a really talented writer. And you know, I, I'm a member. I, I I'm proud to call myself a member of, of a whole group of people that are you know these writers, and we're all trying to you know watch the games and, and write about it. And we were all really shaken. It was a really huge loss, I think, for everybody. Yeah, I agree. And when you go and look at the, the comments sections there, and just the the number of people that never met him yet felt like they knew him, and that's the way it works these days. It's a small world we live in. And uh, so, uh, you know. Yeah, I just remember like, kind of following him on Twitter, you know, and it was always kind of a place where you'd get a good laugh. And getting to talk to him on here, we got to talk to him for a few minutes before we even started recording. And then, you know, I was going to try to meet him in Vegas when I was there, but it happened I was leaving Sunday, and I believe he was coming in Monday for summer league coverage, so it didn't work out. But, yeah, it was great to have him on, and I was looking forward to speaking with him again. So Yeah, sad, sad yeah. stuff. But um, anyway, let's talk about – the Denver Nuggets. Hmm? Igudala? I like doing that. Didn't the Lakers get a throw-in piece or two in that trade, or <laughs> Philadelphia as well? I don't know. How about that? The Igudala I mean, trade. In a way, the Nuggets have now helped the you know division rival become even more of a powerhouse. Does that mean the Nuggets are now just like, okay, we're just got to fight for the second or third spot in the division, and that's just the way it's always going to be? Or why would they participate in a trade that would get that there? Yeah, I don't, Matt, get Dwight I don't Howard you, to Lakers, right? Yeah. And I don't know if, Matt, if you had a chance to listen to him, Masai Ujiri has been on the radio today in Denver a little bit, and he talked about – they asked him specifically about that, about, you know, you did help the Lakers out, and he said – you know, this trade was brought to us. There's three teams involved, and they asked us if we wanted to get involved. So this thing was going to go through. They were just looking for a fourth team. So he kind of made it sound like it was either, hey, we can step in and improve our team in the process, or we can stand pat and watch these other teams get better, and, you know, somebody else will pick up Iguodala. So I thought it was kind of interesting from that perspective, in a, in a sense, because if it was going to happen, why not get better? You might as well. If you're looking at it, I think that whole line of thinking is pretty asinine, not from Mujiri's standpoint, from the other standpoint of like, like, oh, but you made the Lakers better. Because first of all, here's the problem, okay? You weren't better than the Lakers even if they didn't get Dwight Howard. True. So even if this trade didn't go through, you weren't winning the NBA championship. That's your long-term goal. Everybody says the same thing regardless of whether it's really true or not with ownership. And this one, I think with the Nuggets, it is. You know, they want to win a championship, and that's a process – you can't be looking at everything trying to keep them down because you have to get better as be, you know the best that you can and worry about your team and worry about your process and worry about your roster. And so I think that like that you know it needs to be the key. And they weren't gonna they weren't gonna be him anyway, so that's irrelevant. The other thing I wrote about this on NBC in one of my columns this weekend, or yeah, it was I think it was this week, talking about it was on from Mondays. And what I said was every non-contender there are in my mind three contenders of the NBA championship next season that's it three it's Miami Heat the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Los Angeles Lakers yep 
Everybody else needs to readjust their timelines. If you were thinking we were going to contend in 2013, you need to push that back to 2014. If you thought you were going to contend in 2014, you need to push that back again. And my general thought was for teams like Philadelphia, the Nuggets, these young athletic teams, the Utah Jazz, young athletic teams with a lot of pieces where they can, can, they can make the playoffs right now and they're in a position to make a huge trade, readjust and aim for 2015. That's when you need to try and align everything to hit at the same point. This move does that for them because Iguodala is still going to be in his prime at that point. Still, the, a lot of their guys are going to be coming right to the point where they're at their very peak. Now that's a huge opportunity for him. So to me, you know, worrying about what the Lakers are going to do. Look, that they, uh, the Lakers get what they want in this league, and that's an unfortunate reality in my mind because I just don't like the the lack of parity in this league. But you can't be worried about trying to avoid that just because it makes your road harder because you're not at that point anyway. Yeah, very good point. I, I totally agree with that. And like you said, you know, the Nuggets are so young around Iguodala that when he is kind of that veteran presence at, you know, 30 or 31 years old, you're going to have, you know, Ty Lawson, Gallinari, Kenneth Fareed, JaVale McGee, all those guys are going to be basically just starting to enter their primes at that point, well, hopefully. I, I don't think that it's going to be those guys. I think that those guys are going to provide the backbone of a trade that's going to get them the player to go with Iguodala where they're going to be in a position to contend. I think ah. that's the eventual goal. I think I think it's pretty clear when, when you look at it with, the, with what this franchise has done. They give long-term extensions to good, not elite players and then swap them for upgrades and more flexibility and ways to move up. They managed to keep a roster that is good enough to stay in the playoff hunt and maybe surprise and shock somebody and make a little bit of a mini run while also keeping themselves in a position where if, if a star comes available, whether it's DeMarcus Cousins getting pissed out in Sacramento or it's you know Paul Millsap where he decides he doesn't want to play with the Jazz anymore, whatever it is, the Nuggets are going to be right there to be able to say, we have young players, draft picks, and cash, the ability to absorb cash to where we can get a deal done with you right now. They're going to be in a position to add a player to add on to Iguodala and maybe add a superstar to get them to that level where they can contend. Yeah, I, did, I think they definitely – I kind of wrote about how I thought the Aflalo trade, it was like I thought George Carl always wanted Aflalo to probably be an Iguodala-type player, and then they are able to upgrade to him. So I guess I do see that point. Um, who do you think they could even get? Like, like you said, DeMarcus Cousins might be available at some point. You gotta wait because one thing that people really get lost in is they think that the only people that are gonna be superstars in two years are the guys that are available right now. Look, we have we have proof. If you had told me in two thousand and nine that Dwight Howard was gonna be a Laker in three years, I would have told you you were out of your mind. He went to the NBA Finals with the Magic, yet here we are. You don't know who's gonna get there, and you don't know who's gonna make the jump. You know, if Kyrie Irving, if the Cavs absolutely fall apart and Irving were to pitch a fit, now he's not going to do that because Irving's a good guy and he's upstanding. He's going to be with them for a long time. So, Conrad, if you're listening to this, don't freak out at me. Uh, one of my <laughs> sure writers is a Cavs writer. so I'm sure know. he listens. Um, but, you know, you don't know who's going to be a superstar. You don't know who's going to make that jump. You don't know if Greg Monroe is going to absolutely just, just detonate and then the Pistons are going to have some sort of real personal issue with him and decide that they want to move him. There are all these things that can happen where those kind of things are going to come available, and you have to be ready to make the move without sucking in the interim. And that's what I think is so impressive about what the Nuggets have done. You know, we, I talk so much about rebuilding. It's one of my most favorite things to talk about with the NBA and the, the strategies for building a quality team. And for so long, we've, we've really only thought there was one way, which is be absolutely terrible, liquidate everything you have, do everything you can to get to the absolute bottom level so you can maybe draft a superstar player in the draft if one is available and he falls to you and you have the sense to draft him. The Nuggets are proving a different kind of model, and them in Philadelphia and Utah are really following the same kind of thing, which is I call it the win now, win later model, which is you're winning now because you're winning, making the playoffs, but you're keeping yourselves in a position 
where if one of those guys comes available, you can make the trade right then. Do the, does the Denver do the does Denver have a bad name when it comes to NBA players who might not want to come here for one reason or another? I hear mixed things. Uh, so the guys that like it here really love it. Uh, it's not like Portland where everybody that comes out of Portland usually tends to love it, even if they've had a bad year. I mean, Marcus Camby really loved his time there. Um, you know, there are guys that are really attached to the to the area and think that it's a great community. The history of the franchise does play a part because it doesn't have a history of success. It doesn't have the same ring to it. Um, you know, getting him in free agency is going to be t- going to be tough. I think uh, unless you're able to unless Gallinari progresses at the same time as Lawson and Javale, you know, and Fareed. If all those guys get together, then yeah, it's going to be like, well, all right, I can win a title here, and that changes the conversation. But you know, in general. It's good. It's not one of those. It's not Milwaukee, and it's not Charlotte, but it's not L.A., New York, Chicago. And, I mean, that's really what we're looking at now is, you know, there's a big – there's just a huge gap between New York, L.A., Chicago, Miami, Boston, Mm -hmm. uh, and everybody else. Mm -hmm. Do you see the Nuggets players or potential players being scared off by, you know, Nene signs a contract extension, he gets traded? Aaron Afalo signs an extension. He gets traded. And you talked about that. You said, you know, the Nuggets are really good at, you know, signing guys to long-term deals, reasonable contracts, and then flipping them for upgraded pieces. Is that going to scare guys off? I don't think so because you can still get the most money here. You know, they've got the financial flexibility to offer the money, and that's a, you know, it's one where, okay, I, guess I still get paid either way. You know, right. and the odds of them going to Charlotte <laughs> are pretty low, and, you know, it's one where you – and part of it – Every guy, what's what, what does everyone always say when they're traded? What, what's the line everybody says? It's the business, right? Yeah, it's, so it's, they it's say. the business. It's the business. That's the line. Is that? I don't think guys like Nene would care anyway because he doesn't care about winning a championship. <laughs> he doesn't care about playing hard. He's just cashing his checks. No, there are obviously guys that you know they care about the culture of the team, but you know it's one where you understand the risks because and there's a trade off, which is well, look, if you're really unhappy when your contract's up, you can leave him for agency, and that's. You know the return point, and now apparently you can punish the team that you're on by ruining their entire lives, like Dwight Howard did. Um, but you know, I, I, it's one where it's going to have players are going to wonder that. But I mean, look, Andre Iguodala has been playing under the cloud of being traded for four years, right? And yeah. he's been an all star, and he has been consistent. He doesn't cause problems. A lot of this—that's what gets lost. As we talk about, well, the organization doing this is going to make the players do X, or them doing Y is going to make the players do Z. And it's like, look, the personalities are, are what's you know. If you tell a guy that's stable and grounded and understands you know how things work, his situation, he's going to keep himself grounded, do what he can, and keep the right attitude. If you tell a basket case that he's going to be traded, then there's a chance that he's going to go off the wire. The trick there is don't hire basket cases, and, and you won't have that problem. And if you do have basket cases, make sure they don't find out that you've, you're putting them on the trade block. <laughs> you know, so that's part of the, it's part of your resource management, I think, as a, as a roster. So yeah. I was just happy when I heard about the trade. I felt like Will Ferrell in that movie Elf. I was like, I know him. I know who he is. <laughs> we got a player that I, I we've actually heard of. heard of his name before. Yeah. But, but I'll be honest, I don't know that much about him. So is this a guy – Does he have, is he a good character guy? Is he Because we know that's been an issue here and they wow. seem to be going a different direction. You have no idea the, the, the blessing that you have received with Andre Iguodala. Um, in Philadelphia, if you go – just if you do a basic Google search on what Andre's done in Philadelphia – it is startling the amount of time that he has committed to charity works. Uh, I've spoken with him before on several occasions. He would not remember my name, but I've spoken with him on several occasions, and I was always really impressed because he's so 
he's he has himself very well put together. He's very coherent and he's very, you know, but he's very understated. He's not really trying to. You don't feel like you're getting played when you're talking to him. Like mm-hmm. Dwayne Wade, I, I always famously talk about Dwayne Wade, where I will come away from every conversation I have with Dwayne Wade and be like, I just got the most awesome set of quotes ever. I, I have all this great stuff. I'm going to be a star on the internet. And then I look at my quotes and realize I have nothing. Like he has said absolutely nothing to me um, because he's just able to do that. But with Iguodala, he comes across as very sincere. And you know, I think he's going to be a real benefit uh, in that area. He's going to bring leadership. He's going to bring, I think, the biggest thing. Iguodala is consistent. That's part of the thing that, you know, it's good and bad because it's like he's not going to go off for 40. That's not going to happen. But he's going to make every single asset, every single facet of the Nuggets team play on both ends of the floor and in the locker room better. He makes everyone around him better. I've called him the best complimentary player in the NBA, and I really believe that because Wade is not a complimentary player. He's a superstar that happens to play with another one. Mm-hmm. But if you're talking about guys that actually make everybody around them better – Without being the, the big focal point, it's Iguodala. If you put Iguodala next to any of the top five players in this league, you are going to be an instant contender. So all the Nuggets have to do is get one of the top five guys in this league, and yeah. you're set. There you go. So, just sign LeBron James, and he becomes a free agent in a couple of years. <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, but Iguodala too. I mean, he's he seems like a like a good family guy. He always you know he mentions his son a lot. Um, the Nuggets are losing. They lost Al Harrington in that trade, and he was kind of one of the one of the leaders along with Andre Miller. When you talk to the younger players here, they say, "Oh, uh, you know, who's the leader of the team? Andre Miller uh, and Al Harrington." You know, so they lose Harrington, but you know, like you said, Iguodala is going to step right in there, and he he commands respect. He's just won a gold medal. You know, he's been an All Star. He's going to be a guy that you know on on the court he can rebound. He's got a great you know he can. Great passer. He's going to have put up good assist numbers. He can score a little bit too. I mean, he's going to be somebody that, you know, yeah, he's, they're going to love him here, but is he, he's not going to be that big star power. And he was an all-star last year, right? Yes. And I always wonder, you know, we talk about part of the reason why guys might be hesitant to come here is almost, I mean, Philadelphia, it's not New York or L.A., but they still get a lot more national attention here. I, I, I hope that if he can still continue to play at the – all-star caliber that he can get that nod when it comes time to that because I think for to be honest I think Carmelo Anthony maybe was questionable a couple of those years but because of his name he gets kind of an automatic vote in I, I hope uh, Iguodala is able to do that and and uh, I'm pretty happy with the pickup and uh, th- what about who we lost are we going to miss those guys there's no question I think the Nuggets are definitely going to miss Aaron Aflalo I mean he was you know another like Iguodala's a pros pro you can say the same thing, I think, about Aaron Flalo and Al Harrington, of course, you know, is kind of a leader in the locker room. Both those guys, you know, could score a lot for the Nuggets, but the thing that you keep hearing talked about is defensively how the Nuggets have upgraded so much, and that's kind of, you know, yeah, they're, they're going to be able to score for sure, but defensively, hopefully they can get better from where they were last year. I think they're, what, 19th in the league in defense, so it's like, ugh, that's not good. I'm just glad he's not European. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you have it out for the European draws? <laughs> one of the uh, I have no respect for European <laughs> basketball. One of the uh, it, it's interesting. I, I was reading Carl's quotes after they somebody talked to him about the pickup. I uh, thought his comments were kind of interesting because he mentioned how you know I'm willing to take a step back from being one of the best offenses in the league to being a top five offense in the league if we can move up to being a top five defense. And that's that's a very sound thinking, which is they had such an overload of offensive players. I mean, the offense was awesome, but there's a point where it's like, do you you know, it's okay. You can trade out because part of it is, 
Iguodala is not going to go off and score 40, but he's going to help everybody else score. And, yeah, he can get to the rim, and he can hit the three, and he can hit the mid-range jumper. He just can't do it. Honestly, a lot of it is he doesn't, he's, not in that, he's never asked, and he doesn't have the mentality to shoot like that. He's like the anti-J.R. Smith. Like, if JR, <laughs> that's a good thing. Like, if, if JR, like, I don't think I've ever seen Iguodala do a heat check. I have, and think about that. I cover the NBA every single night. I watch so many games a night. I've never seen Andre Iguodala heat check. Everyone heat checks. Brian Cardinal heat checks. So, you know, it's one. <laughs> yeah, to, Brian to, Cardinal does. <laughs> to, have, to have those kind of, to have a guy that doesn't do that. I think it's, you know, I think it's going to be good. And yeah, defensively, it's just. I mean, look, Iguodala is one of the few guys on the planet that you can say, okay, Derrick Rose, we got Iguodala, we're going to stick stick Iguodala on him. Okay, LeBron James, yes, LeBron's going to score and he's going to get, you know, he's going to have an amazing game, but Iguodala is going to make him work for it. You know, Luol Deng, we can neutralize Luol Deng because we have Andre Iguodala. The guys in this league that can do that are very, very slim. You're going to miss, you know, for me, it's, it's, you look at the outside shooting. If Gallinari's shooting doesn't return. Yep throw up the warning flags. You know, if they don't find somebody, if Jordan Hamilton doesn't make a jump, you know, because they're going to have to pick up those two to three threes a game somewhere. They're going to have to pick up those two to three hustle plays for layups somewhere. You know, and, and honestly, you know, Harrington's defense last year was actually pretty good for 75% of the year until he kind of tailed off after injury. Um, so they're going to have some issues down low. And so they need, you know, Mozgov and Fareed and JaVale not to just play better, but to play smarter. And that's a tall order for guys that young. I got two questions on that. So, you know, Carl's talking about he wants to have a top five defensive team. Can one guy change the entire culture of the team defensively? And then also, um, after you get done with that one, <laughs> can Iguodala, who would you have him cover on the Thunder? Would you have him cover Durant or Westbrook or split it? Uh, well, first, you know, I think it's a shift. Um, it's unlikely that they're going to make a, huge, a jump into a top ten defense. Um, you need a center to do that. That's the Knicks made the jump into a top five defense because they got Tyson Chandler. Like that was the difference in their defense along with Mike Woodson coming on. But a lot of it's systemic. You know, if they can, if they can use Iguodala to anchor the defense, because one thing, if you notice, if you go back and watch a lot of Philadelphia, Iguodala would switch from guy to guy to guy. And that drives offenses nuts. When you run, when you're in the pick and roll and you run off of a switch and all of a sudden you're in a worse position than you were when you started, that is so frustrating. And Iguodala is able to do that to just rotate from guy to guy to guy. So if you get the good system, you can make it work. And now there are a lot of linchpins to that, which are, you know, Ty Lawson's going to have to keep his head up and, and be active on ball pressure. And, you know, uh, Gallinari is really not going to be able to drift out, and he can't leak out too quick for those layups and transition, which he really wants to do. He's got to stick with a lot of the forwards, and he needs to attack the glass. JaVale McGee has to play really <laughs> smart and has to be able to help it. He has to do the things... He's such a good help defender. He really is, but he's got to know when helping is not helping his team. Like when he posts that he wants to lead the NBA in blocks, maybe he shouldn't have that as his goal. Right. Yeah. Like he, needs, <laughs> he needs to be. I want to lead the league in uh, in in perimeter penetrations limited. Yeah. Where you know, not a sexy stat. Yeah. Where we've but sounds like it. Where we've you know where he's yeah. where he's cutting off the drive and 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 you know making guys. You know, the guy gets past on the pick and roll, drives to the rim, and all of a sudden JaVale's there and doesn't block the shot, but he makes that guy stop, reset the offense, and all of a sudden you got a 9-1-1 shot. That's the kind of stuff that you need to have happen. is going to help you do that, but everybody's got to get into the same system, and the question is whether or not the Nuggets can build that kind of system, and that's a tall order. Yeah. Uh, on the Thunder, you know, I would put him on Durant just because, because of two things. Um, one, 
Westbrook's speed is so much that you are not going to be able to stop him. It's like point guard defense in this league is honestly pointless. And like Rose is a different kind of matter because he's such a primary scorer. Um, Westbrook, I almost like, I honestly just kind of throw my hands up and be like, you know what? Russ is going to get to the rim. He's going to shoot. This is going to happen. He, you know, he's an act of God. This stuff happens. Uh, with Durant, though, you can deny him the ball, and that can really do the damage to be able to limit him. So I think if, if I had my druthers, I would definitely put Iguodala uh, on Durant. Do you think, too, that Iguodala would give the Nuggets – you're talking about maybe in a couple of years, maybe they can bring somebody in. He gives them the flexibility to be able to look at a couple different wing positions if somebody did become available, right? Because he can play the shooting guard spot and the small forward spot, even though that's not terribly defined in Denver. They just kind of call it a wing position. In, in today's NBA, honestly, he can play the two, the three, or the four. And that is, I mean, that's massive to be able to have a guy that you can stick out there and be like, you know, if we got to survive for you know a, a seven-minute stretch in the second – with Iguodala at the, at the power forward, we can do that. That's huge. Please don't let our listeners know that he could be played at the four because then they're going to think George Carl is going to play him at the five, which <laughs> right. is terrifying. Right. No, you know, and it, it, the ability to, to cover two guards, I think, is, is, is relevant. His ability to cover threes is the most impactful place that he'll have. You know, he can play offensively at the two, and then he can cover defensively at the three while Gallinari. I mean, it's basically one of those situations where if you've got a strong two and a good three – you know, Iguodala takes the tougher of the two, and that means Gallinari is not stuck out on an island trying to defend the best wing player. Now, Gallinari can be pretty good defensively, yeah, you know, I think so. especially in isolation. But, like, you know, when they play the Lakers next year, um, well, they're going to get killed because they have Steve Nash and Dwight Howard. But, like, last year they died because Kobe Bryant was going against Gallinari, and that's a really tough matchup for Gallo to try and hang with. Iguodala is covering Kobe. Like, that's what's going to happen. And so then Gallo just has to cover Meta World Peace, and Meta will beat him up. But Gallinari is going to be able to effectively shut him down and be able to help out on Howard and Nash and these other things. And those are, that's a kind of an instance where the real impact that he can have and the help he can bring. There's a lot of talk here, too, about how the Nuggets are going to do next year as a whole. Like, does the acquisition of Iguodala propel them into a top three team? And is even that is that really important that they just need maybe home court in the first round? Or where do you kind of stand on that? A good year. A great year for the Nuggets is making the Western Conference Finals. That means that they've upset either San Antonio, Oklahoma City, or the Los Angeles Lakers. That's fantastic. Uh, a good year, yeah. A good year is a second round appearance where they challenge them to seven games. An okay year is a first round bow out, but it needs to be in a tough six or seven series, and you better be against the West. Better be better than it looks right now on paper. You know, a mediocre year is a first round exit in which you get swept. So, I mean, obviously, I mean, that's where they were last year, so taking a step backwards would obviously be pretty bad. Um, I, I think that they'll definitely be in that. They'll be in the second round. It's just going to be a matter of who they get matched up against. Yeah, it's kind of how it always seems like in basketball, right? If you get a good matchup, like we saw when the Nuggets did go to the Western Conference Finals, they got pretty favorable facing the Hornets and then the Mavericks, yeah. I thought. I mean, that's, yeah, it's, I mean, that's a, it's always a huge factor here. I mean, you know, I think if they run up against the Thunder, as much as the, the matchup two years ago was terrible for them, I still think in... in you know, construct in the way that they're built. I feel like that's a really good matchup for the Nuggets. I feel like that that helps them to to a high degree. San Antonio, it entirely depends on which team shows up because you know if you can defend <laughs> at an adequate level, you can you can limit them enough to outscore them because they have such terrible defense. But if the if the Spurs team that shows up that just can't miss, you're in trouble because you know their offense is so good. And the Lakers, you're not going to win because I'm I, I ran some numbers last night and 
good God, we're all doomed. <laughs> Ross, we've got to have Matt on, I think, every week to talk NBA. Wow. I'm loving it. <laughs> I am impressed. I think I've learned more in the last 10, 15 minutes than I have for at least the last three or four years. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, everybody? Follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball because uh, I'm sure there's more where that came from. And uh, – all the millions of different uh, websites that you write for. So, <laughs> so good stuff. Man, deep NBA talk. Where else? In middle of August, in Bronco City, are you going to hear so much talk about the NBA and the Nuggets than right here? Huh? Nowhere. This is the best. Yeah. Really the best podcast ever. <laughs> Speaking of the Broncos. Really? When do you, th- when do you look at it? Hey, Quantitatively. When you, do the re- when you crush the numbers, hey, this is the best podcast I'm, of all. I, I actually just Googled guy. best podcast and we, we came up. So. <laughs> we did, awesome. yeah. I, I believe that. Yeah, I didn't have to Google it. So uh, speaking of Broncos City, uh, Broncos go out to that one place this weekend and against, the, against, the, team, against the team. To play uh, some sort of uh, practice, inter-league, inter-squad practice? What yeah. do they call those? It's summer camp, as you like to call it. It's, it's summer camp. Part of the summer camp is you have to go uh, have some inter-squad tug-of-wars. <laughs> Broncos won 31-3 against the Bears. Uh, how how exciting and telling is this? We didn't even <laughs> get a chance to. exhibition game that we watched. And we didn't even get a chance to boot Jay Cutler. Oh, my God. I, and hey, by the way, if Jeff Campbell is now the backup for the Chicago Bears – why didn't the Broncos sign him over Caleb Haney? Jeff Campbell's a little bit better than Caleb Haney. Well, why don't they just come on? Do they need to make that many decisions when you're talking about the third string quarterback? You really like this Brock Osweiler, right? No, he's the third string quarterback. I'm just telling you. I know you really like CSU guys. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe good. Bradley Van Pelt was available. Why didn't we at least sign him as our third string quarterback? He's playing soccer somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we just spent a lot of time talking in depth about real topics in regards to the with regards to the NBA and the Nuggets and I keep hearing all this in-depth conversation about a preseason game and practices that I find it to be I'd rather talk about trades and free agency and that type of stuff than something that is not just it's not just like meaningless in the fact that the win or loss doesn't count it's that everything you see is meaningless with regards to Evaluating a team. Do you talk about with this? You talking about Peyton Manning's arm strength? <laughs> well, there can has he been, throw the deep pass? Still? There What's has it? been talk about that, uh, you know. But, but like, why is it just because people want to talk about the Broncos? Is that, or do people? Do you guys really find any value in watching and analyzing preseason games at all? I, the only time I've ever enjoyed preseason NFL football was way back when my grandpa was still alive, when he told me. Hey, this this kid out there for the Broncos is pretty good. And I'm going, who are you talking about? And he's like, oh, he's on special teams. You'll see him. Oh, him right there. And I'm like, oh, who is that? And I'm like, look it up. Oh, it's Terrell Davis. I don't really know much about him. And then all of a sudden he appears out of nowhere, takes over the job, has a what I think is a well, Hall of Fame career. You and that's it. the rest of the story. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's you nailed it there. And that is the seeing the guys that could be the future stars of our team and seeing them play the first time. And, and I remember seeing, you know, you know, the guys like Terrell Davis, I think one guy that name comes to mind before, and, it, you know, it's not like he's an, a superstar, but I remember seeing Ian Gold play in preseason games and, yeah. and you know, and, and going down on special teams on preseason in that first game of the year but and, and make a big hit. And then the next thing you know, he's a starting linebacker for the Broncos. But I still – maybe it's just because it seems like such a tease. And there's – I want to get excited for the Broncos. That, that is my favorite team in this city, in this, in the world. 
but I can't get on board with preseason games. Not only that, I don't like how they charge you the same price for preseason tickets that they do for regular season tickets. Same price. That's crazy. It's insane. It Beers is. cost the same. Parking costs the same. Everything costs the same. And then they just add two more games on to your season ticket package, which is you get eight home games, you add two more. You know, I'm not a mathematician, but that's got to be like at least 25%. <laughs> Matt, you were just recently in what, Kansas City? Yeah. Your most recent stop. Did you go to any of this Chiefs stuff? Did you follow the Chiefs at all? I did. And, you know, it's I don't really, it's baffling to me. Why would anybody pay f- like full price for a preseason ticket? Because all you have to do is pay for the cheap seats. It's like baseball. Pay for the pay for the cheap seats and then just go down because nobody's there at preseason. They do like, that's in Kansas City. Yeah. Nobody's there for preseason. Just walk on down and you're and you're right up front. You know, it's a, I, I had this idea while you're talking. You know what they should do? They should honestly do this. Uh, they should have it to be preseason games should be structured this way. Kickoff and then regardless of kickoff, it's moved to the goal line. And then they score and then they kick off. Because all that matters in preseason is is special teams <laughs> And guys that can actually show that they can make a play, which is really difficult at the end uh, on the end on the goal line. <laughs> That's a good idea. Or maybe just red zones. Yeah. Maybe go from kickoff return and at least maybe just twenty yard yeah. line. Yeah. Make them to the twenty yard line and then and just do that. <laughs> Take a ten minute break in between so you don't end up having everybody get injured because making guys do like. 20, 20 special teams is going to kill everyone. <laughs> and then they between them, they can bring out the guys with the dogs and the frisbees. Right, exactly. And is that I'll, the opposite of what Roger Goodell wants, though? Yeah, like, he's God. like, we want less kickoffs. Matt Moore wants more kickoffs. That's the whole thing. Like special, awesome. team, like special teams. Yeah. And don't, even, don't even do it like a full kickoff. Do it as punk coverage because that's what, really what you want to see. And it's easier to score and all this kind of thing. So you can, like... You know, because that's what really that's what you're looking for in preseason. It's always, did you see that guy make that play? Like he just absolutely nailed it. That guy's going to be a star, and then you never hear from him again. That's a good idea. <laughs> um, that is great. And on top of that, make beers half price and make beers at half least price. do that. I've been th- saying that about the Rockies because we're at this point where we're just like, yeah. so nothing's going to happen. Uh, I say, if you're not going to field a good team, just make all the tickets a dollar and all the beers three dollars. You'll sell that place out every single night. And it'll all be good. I'm sorry. If you're paying the money that you're paying, not even for full price. I'm talking even if you pay half price for some of these tickets. <laughs> and you go to this game, and they're not going to play the starters more than a series. It should be BYOB. Oh, that's should, great. Like, and I think it would be great, though. Like, I mean, yes, you would have people get tanked, but you have that anyway in the parking lot. But seriously, you could make it into a whole, like, BYOB. You know, you, Put limitations on what you can bring in and for safety regulations, and, you know, you can't bring in, like, 15 kegs, but, you know, make it to be, like, oh, you can bring in a six-pack and drink your own, sit and drink your own beer and have it be, like, really laid back and, like, a whole family atmosphere. And you can have things for the kids and do more stuff like that because treating these things as serious is the stupidest thing ever because yeah. those players aren't taking it seriously. Like, nobody's taking it seriously. Although I will say, I was watching the, the um, which, by the way, I watched last night, not even watch, I, I glanced periodically at the worst football game I've ever seen. <laughs> I totally avoided it. The 3 nothing <laughs> Dallas Cowboys over the Oakland Raiders game. Uh, it was certifiably the worst football game I've ever seen. Um, but one thing I think was interesting is because, you know, they're like, Oh well, it doesn't really matter, and these guys aren't going at full speed. But the problem is, like, if you're, you know, and these guys are like test, like the, the the Cowboys are testing out like a new offensive line. Well, here's the problem: the guys on the other side of the line are trying to make a team, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're going to make a team if they decapitate Tony Romo. <laughs> right. So you're always like, like, it's like, oh, well, it doesn't really matter that he blew that coverage because it doesn't matter. And Tony Romo's in the back, like, going. 
you need to block for me. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I remember one time, uh, just complete random side story. One time in my – Why? We don't do those here. Yeah, never. <laughs> one time in my high school football team, one of our running backs, he got blown up on a play and he came back to the huddle and started screaming at the offensive line. He's like, why don't you guys effing block? Like, what is wrong with you? Block these guys. And then, you know, we're walking back up to the line and kind of word gets passed down the line and then my, my – uh, left guard taps me and I'm like, what? And he's like, we're not blocking this play. Like, let the guy go through because it was, you know, going right to him again. He got blown up again. It was awesome. I can tell this Loved guy it. demanded a lot of respect on the team. <laughs> he did, yeah. He was uh, Quality a bit, leader. Of a, bit of a whiner, bit of a whiner, but yeah, that was great. Yeah, I, I, I just, it's it's baffling me that they have it, especially like the fourth game. It's like, good, just have the two and be done. Like, yes. I understand that you want to do evaluation. Yeah. And I don't even mind the fact that you're like, okay, you really need to get an idea for the depth. Like, I understand that. Like, I'm not expecting you to play these guys because it's, you know, if you play your starters the entire game and somebody gets, like, the quarterback gets out for the entire year, how stupid is that? Oh, like Michael Vick, didn't he get hurt during preseason with the so. Falcons yeah. way back? Broke his leg. It's like, well, that was a waste. It's the biggest, it's the biggest scam ever, and it's, it's uh, I, w- w- what they have been talking about, and I don't know what I think about this, is keeping the, you know, the, I guess there's, you know, 16 regular season games and then four preseason games, keeping the total 20, but then adding or changing the second two preseason games to be regular season. Have you guys heard about that? Yeah. Uh, I think that's kind of crazy. I don't I, want more NFL games. I have enough. I don't – it seems like the NFL has done such a great job tinkering here and there, but then occasionally they start talking about crazy stuff, and it's almost like leave it alone. They can't leave it. And it's really weird too because, I mean, covering the NBA – there are so many things that need to be fixed. <laughs> so many problems. Yes. Like, all over the board. Yes. You know, so so with the NFL, I'm just like, you won. <laughs> You've won the war. Go home. Enjoy your victory. You cannot lose money as an NFL franchise. Right. Yeah. Like, enjoy it. Go be rich. Yes. I completely <laughs> agree. You, you you wish, but then but then you look at you know, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed in the NBA, but the NBA is also making more money than it ever has. You know, there's some teams clearly that aren't as benefiting, but as far as, you know, the NBA and its brand, it's, it's global. More popular it's, than ever. It's the most global sport um, out of the four or five big ones in the, in, you know, here. So it's, uh, but I agree, they need to figure out the NBA, make it. Just, you know, it's not that hard. Just go back to basics. We're kind of talking NFL. Matt, do you have a, an opinion on, like, revenue sharing in NBA? About what? Like, do you, are, would you be for that? Do you like that model? I know in baseball, you know, we kind of see teams like the Rockies are going to turn a profit because of, you know, they don't have to sell tickets. They're going to turn a profit based off of revenue sharing plus TV deals. And it's like, I don't feel like, I feel like if there were revenue sharing in the NBA that it might – not be good for the league because it would maybe give some guys like Donald Sterling uh, the opinion that he doesn't have to spend money. Not sure who Don, Donald Sterling Owner is. Owner of the L.A. Clippers. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. The um, <laughs> Slumlord, actually. Yeah, uh, Slumlord. And, <laughs> is that his nickname? And a, no, I no, mean, he is no, I'm li- he's literally. He, oh, like he owns no, properties like he, elsewhere? No, like he's are... been sued for actual <laughs> violations of tenant, like code. Like that's not an exaggeration. When they filled out, uh, when he filled out the application to buy the Clippers, they should have had him put in references of his tenants. Right, you know, exactly. Give me three references. You know, um, a friend of Jerry Buss, actually, that's how I got the gig. Nobody really notices that. Um, I'll tell you, I just got done with the lockout, uh, and so I don't have to talk, want to talk about any of the business issues ever again. But I'll, I'll say this. It's my opinion 
uh, and I'm one of the few that in kind of my circle of, of the people that blog professionally that feels this way, the NBA can never be as popular as the NFL because everyone likes football more, and I concede that. But if you're building any sort of sports franchise, you look at the NFL and you go, we're doing things that way because they have built the most successful, the most profitable, and the most rabid fan base ever. In sports in America, that's what you need to follow. And I've, I've talked a lot about this, which is, you know, I said earlier, there's three contenders of the NBA title next season. There are 20 NFL team fan bases right now that firmly believe that their team has a shot at the Super Bowl. Now, they, some of them may be a little bit nuts, but they're not completely crazy. And some of that has to do with the one-off you know, playoff format, and some of it has to do with there only being 16 games. And I'm, I can see those elements. But a lot of it is simply that those teams, because of the way that the league is structured with the cap and with the revenue sharing, everyone's competitive, everyone can, get, can land free agents if they do the right things, and everyone can be on a level playing field. The NBA is not like that. I've long said that if you want, like, everyone talks about the casual fan. That's the big thing is, like, the NBA really tries to market itself to the casual fan. And what does the casual fan want? Well, they want Lakers-Celtics because that's from right. the 80s. Well, now they want, like, Lakers-Heat or Lakers-Knicks because these are the franchises that we know and they have the most people, blah, 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 blah. What the NFL has done is they've made it to where – Green Bay, Wisconsin has a rabid fan base that crosses over four states that is psychotic, buying jerseys and bobbleheads and commemorative marshmallow packets, buying beers at the stadium, buying parking all they want. 70,000 people went to uh, an exhibition or some sort of practice. practice, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, you want. that's what you want. And people talk about the NBA. It's some, some of it, the game itself, yes, but you can emulate some of that, which is Milwaukee would get behind the Bucks. Denver would get behind the Nuggets. Uh, you know, these fan bases, if you give them some hope, you can do that. Revenue sharing is a way to do that, and that's why I've been in favor of it for so long. Because we do look at it here. We, we do have, you know, just in Denver, we have the Broncos who, you know, won the two Super Bowls. They're the two, I guess, about three-year window when they won those Super Bowls the year before that. They were bringing in, like, the top free agents, Gary Zimmerman, uh, Tony Jones from, I think, the Cleveland Browns or Ravens at the time. But anytime there was, you know, Bill Romanowski, anytime there was a big name out there, it was like, well, they're coming to Denver. We didn't even, it was like, oh, Gary Zimmerman, yeah, he's going to be here. Let's go there and win a Super Bowl. Yeah, and it was like, you know, we see how the Broncos benefited from just being a, a very, you know, popular and well-run franchise. And then, But we kind of look at the Nuggets now and, you know, they're well-run but I think the fan base in Denver kind of feels like they're like, oh, like some people refer to the Nuggets as a small market team. I don't think Denver's a small market. It's not, but that's the way it operates, though, right? Because there's only big markets and small markets. There's nothing in the middle. Right. You know, and part of it is, like you talked about, I, I, I've been really fascinated since I moved here to listen to a lot of the Broncos coverage because, you know, I, I, as an admission, I hope I don't get beat up for this, uh, not here but on the streets of, of Denver. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm a third-generation Chiefs fan. And I've always felt so much that, you know, I have a whole lot invested in that fan base and believe so much in how that fan base responds when it's amped and when it's excited. And I remember those those great, you know, Chiefs-Broncos games throughout my life. And but Montana Elway. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting here because there's a – I've heard people talking about really the culture and the belief in, you know, this is a great – city a great football town a, and there's almost a mythology about it like don't you want to be like you want to be a part of what it means to be a bronco and there are a lot of fan bases that do that it echoes more here than it does in a lot of places including kansas city and kansas cityans are pretty 
damn nuts about the Chiefs because yeah. they haven't got much going for them. And they travel. Yeah. Ugh, but, they travel. You know, in De- but in Denver, like, there's a whole – and, you know, you're building that culture of winning and, and that culture of it, – it means something to wear this uniform. And in the NBA, I think you have a lot of problems with that where it means something to wear the, the Lakers yellow and it means something to wear the, the Celtics green – and it weirdly means something to to wear the Knicks blue, even though they've never really been that great. <laughs> um, but, you know, all the rest of the franchises, like the Heat retired Michael Jordan's jersey. doesn't mean a whole lot to be there. It's going to mean something different after this Heat run gets through. But, you know, with the Nuggets, and there are some great players in Nuggets history. Like Adrian Dantley. I mean, there are some great players in Nuggets history but it doesn't resonate the same way. Wait, did yeah. you say the Heat retired Michael Jordan's jersey? Yeah. You're kidding? No. <laughs> yeah, weird move. Right? They do yeah, that? Like they have like I think they have. He's not like Jackie Robinson. I mean, <laughs> I know he was great because he's the greatest player of all time. And they, I think they've got, they've got like three insane. or four retired jerseys. I think it's Morning. I think that's Glenn Rice. I'm not sure. And uh, and Jordan. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's very bizarre. <laughs> what number does LeBron James wear? Six. Yeah. Wow. So that one will get retired. But yeah, I mean he, and that's part of his, uh, you know. That's that they've really they're trying to build something there where it means something to be a member of the Heat like Riley's so they just really stole focused Jordan. on that yeah right uh, but yeah we should retire Jordan's jersey yeah. and a lot of this because you know, the, the franchises are new right like and that's the biggest problem like the Bobcats have like nobody's going to the Bobcats because not only is it a tiny ass market not only is there no money there not only is there no sponsorship opportunities. You know, there's no cool clubs. There's the weather's not awesome like it is in some other places. But it doesn't mean anything to be a bobcat versus like Boston. Boston's miserable and cold most of the year. The populace is radio edit, <laughs> but you know, but it means something to be a part of the you know the greatest franchise in NBA history. And you know, I mean, the Broncos really are one of those teams along with I think the Packers um, and, and a few other franchises that they really are. Of the elk. You know what the Bobcats should do? They should sponsor a NASCAR. Like a it could be the That's true. Jimmy Johnson Charlotte Bobcat Chevy. That's actually not a bad idea. They would probably get some more interest. That actually would. That would they, have a, they have a NASCAR uniform, right? I think a, they do. A little bit of a NASCAR design on it. Yeah. yeah. It's weird. Yeah, I bet you when they do the uh, jerseys, they have the uh, sponsorship logos on them. I bet the Bobcats will have a, a NASCAR logo. Yep. That'd be really interesting. <laughs> they should. Awesome. Well, um, what do you guys think? Done here. How do you guys feel? I could go more, man. I could ask Matt, what do you think about uh, the perhaps three-on-three basketball tournament that may take place at the 2016 Olympics in Brazil? I, I think that those kind of ideas are really what? are really fascinating. Yeah, there's a discussion of a three-on-three tournament in Brazil. There's a discussion of... Is it an official Olympic sport? It would be like an... an, an, an well, yeah. That's the best idea I've ever heard in my life. I just got done last week talking about how they need to take the basketball out of the Olympics. They need to take soccer out of the Olympics because it's not the highest level that that sport has. And so, like trampoline, that's their time to shine. You right. know? But when you watch a bunch of millionaires that are, you know, unless they got rid of the pro thing and just played, you know, had an age limit or something, I thought that would be good. But three-on-three basketball – would it be like half court or full court, like NBA Jam? I haven't read too much on the details of it. I just kind of – have you seen anything about I it? Really much, anything I haven't I, I got the brief about it. But I think, you know, it's probably not going to happen because change is, is so slow with everything. Yeah. The biggest thing, like everyone talks about the changes, like USA Basketball makes so much money. Like Stern can trump them because Stern makes more money. But USA Basketball makes so much money. And while this would be an opportunity for them, they make, you know, they make so much money from – 
the cards and merchandise and everything. Like, it's a huge money maker. It's important it's, for players too because yeah. you know they want to get in front of the global market, yeah. right? Yeah. So I mean, I, I don't think it'll happen, but I think it'd be a really great idea. I think I think anything that that kind of changes the format and makes it more interesting is really good. Like I mean, I wrote that we should change the. I, I'm a supporter of the under 23 approach. That's a great idea. Um, yeah. There's been a I lot agree. of heat. There's been a lot of heat about it. And people are like. You know, we barely beat Spain. Like we might lose, and I was like, "So what? Like, let's dare to be awesome. Like, let's let's go out there and be like, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna train our kids, and we're gonna actually give them some practice time, and we're gonna devote, you know, and we're gonna say that, uh, and we're gonna spend more time teaching kids fundamentals or something that should happen. Though I'm a yeah. supporter of the AAU system, you know, we're gonna work harder on this so that they can they can go out there and they can compete with the world's best, and it gives these kids a, y- a younger age a chance to really shine. And, and so, it make would make it so much more fun to watch, like. It is to watch all the other Olympic events where you're not watch. I mean, maybe sick to root for Kobe Bryant. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, as a Nuggets fan and as a hater of Kobe Bryant, yes, but also just as like, well, why? Why does he need to be out there? You know, and I understand he's a a globe like one of the, probably you know with Tiger Woods maybe the most recognizable athletes in the world. But I just like I don't want to. I I appreciate it because because. It really means a lot to them. And it's nice to see something that means a lot to them more than the money and the individual glory. Like it's nice to where they're like, you know, I really want to do represent my country and prove that we're the best. And I I, I value that. But I wrote in a piece when the first when, when I did the thing on twenty under twenty three a couple weeks ago, uh, a few months ago actually. I wrote this, which is there's nothing left to prove. The dream team proved what we needed to prove forever, which is we assembled the greatest collection of basketball talent ever. And now all we're doing is not really piling on. I mean, we lost, you know, in 2004, but I feel like it's piling on in the sense that if we commit ourselves, we will destroy everyone. That's what we've proven. Like, mm-hmm. if, we, if we put the resources out there, you're not going to be able to compete with us. So we don't have anything left to prove. Let's, let's raise the bar. We've always been a nation that wanted to raise the bar. It was, you know, we got into a competition with Russia during the Cold War during the space race, and we said, we're going to the moon. That's insane. We, were, we actually <laughs> said... You know that distant rock in the sky in space? We're going there because, and that's what we've Why? always done. Why? Because f you, Russia. Yeah, that's what we've Soviet always. <laughs> you know, that's what we've always done. We've, we've we've raised the bar and we've wanted to meet it. And I think that that's an American ideal that everybody can get behind. I have no doubt uh, American basketball players, twenty three years and younger, still can't beat anybody, any five selected players from any country. I mean, I, to me, that I, that seems like it should be a given. I think we could have sent the Kentucky team over there, you know, a hole, and they probably could have done pretty well. You know, I think so. Uh, I mean, but. I mean, there, there there's there are going to be guys that I mean, there are going to be teams, and I think there will be years where we would lose. I really do think there would be years where we would lose, but that would only strengthen our resolve to return and get better, and you know, that's going to make everybody better, and it, you know. Then they can go do the World Cup of Basketball, which is what Stern's angling for, which is just a huge money-making thing, which is fine because get on them for making money. Yeah. yeah. Well, Ross, I'll let you ask Matt your most important question that you always like to ask of our Hard-hitting interviewees. Here. We like to put people on the spot, so I apologize for not warning you about this. What's your favorite – this is a two-parter. What's your favorite sports movie? And uh, if it's not a basketball movie, what's your favorite basketball movie? Take your time. If you need a glass of water or something, we can. <laughs> can I do a tie? Is it okay for a tie? You can do whatever you want. All right. Yeah. My, my, my tie is going to be uh, neither – my favorites are – neither of them are, are basketball movies. Um, are between uh, Remember the Titans and Major League. Mm. We Two classics. A lot. 
uh, those are my two favorites because the the quotability of Major League and Major League Two is just off the charts. Yeah. Um, my uh, <laughs> never heard anybody put Major League Two in that. <sighs> here's well, Major here's, League back to the. All Mets. I gotta say is Omar Epps. He ruins it. The, the, is that who it was? He took over for Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes. The the reason that I, I like Major League Two is because of uh, the Japanese player that says, <laughs> "You have no marbles." <laughs> yeah. I die every single time, <laughs> and then he goes, "Marbles." Ooh, like I die every single time when if he does w- that. If they wouldn't have made that movie, Sam Cassell would have nothing to celebrate when he was making big shots in the NBA. But like Serrano, like Serrano <laughs> through the entire series is just amazing. So like, I call him Mr. President. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's amazing. So you're yeah. in good hands with Pedro Serrano. Uh, so uh, so that one, and I remember the Titans. I really like the uh, I really like the scene where they're all sitting around and um, or they're in practice. And it's where they first start to kind of bond, and it's like, it's like this left side, strong side. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah. oh, that's so nice. <laughs> the racial racial problems in this country are solved. Damn, high school kids have done it again. <laughs> exactly. you know. That is, I, yeah, I need to watch that movie again because I watched it, I loved it, but I haven't seen it since the first time I saw it, probably in the theaters. But uh, that, yeah, I gotta check that one out. Uh, I, I like a lot of different music, and it's it's weird because I'm an NBA guy, right? And like like hip hop is such a, an integral part, and I I, I really love hip hop. I'm not as educated on it as I want to be, but the stuff that I do know, like I mean, yeah, I'm big on Wu Tang, I'm big on a lot of the guys. Uh, I, I really think it's, and I try and keep up with, with what's modern, with what the kids are listening to. Um, but a little I, stanky leg coming through. <laughs> but I, I came, you know, I came up from Northwest Arkansas, so like country is like buried deep in my in my bones. My yeah. dad was, was a country boy, and so the scene in Remember the Titans, where the guy they, they pair him up and his roommates, and it's it's the big guy looking at the at the little scrawny white dude, and he's listening to Hank Williams. He's like, <laughs> yeah, then they just get you moving. <laughs> like, I, I always crack up at that too. So yeah, so my, and my favorite basketball movie, um, my favorite basketball movie. I, I'm gonna. Uh, hmm. <laughs> it's a tough one. It's a difficult decision. But here, well, I, I'll. It's not actually a basketball movie, so I, I can't use it. I, I want to say my favorite basketball movie is basketball um, because <laughs> it's got the basketball in it, so I want it to qualify. It That's does. True. That's um, true. Because the scene where he cuts his own finger off is one of my absolute favorite things of all time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I freak out ever. So yeah, that that I really like. And then when uh, um, oh, what's your what's your face, uh, Jenna, Jennifer, Jam- Jameson? No, no, God, Victoria Silvestate. Is it Pamela? Play, is it Pamela Anderson? Year? It's Pamela Anderson, right? Oh no no no! You're thinking of. Uh, the girl from Singled Out, yeah, the blonde, Jenny, Jenny, McCarthy. McCarthy. Jenny McCarthy. Yes. When Jenny McCarthy comes by with the trailer hits and, and all the silver's been sucked off of it, <laughs> she goes, I'm done with this one. And she's laying yeah. carpet. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, yeah. She goes, she's like, I'm done with this one, and the guy looks at her. I'm just dead. That's a great movie. You know, those guys, uh, isn't the Book of Mormon yeah. uh, coming to Denver like tomorrow or tonight or something, premiering in Denver? Yeah, soon, I think. I kind of wish yeah. I had uh, thought ahead and got tickets to that. I bet that would be pretty good. Was that like Wells Fargo Theater or something? Ellie Calkins Opera House, I believe. Oh, fancied it up, eh? Yeah, hmm. I believe so. Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's different than the Wells Fargo Theater or this, they renamed it. I think there might be separate things. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And my actual <laughs> favorite basketball movie, um, I'm going to say, is... Space Jam. I'm supposed to say Hoosiers, but I'm going to say it's Space Jam. Yeah, nobody likes Hoosiers. Strike two. 
All right. We got a Chiefs fan who doesn't like Hoosiers. <laughs> not, only, not, on, not only am I not a good, good person to live in Colorado, I'm not a good person to live in the country. I can't stand Hoosiers, so I feel you there. Did you play high school basketball? Uh, I tried to and could not. See, I think my theory is is holding it's true. Holding up. I, I didn't play high school basketball. High school basketball. Every, you know, you like Hoosiers. I think is what it is. I had, play, I, I had to play in the intramural leagues down at my youth center, where like it was like because the referees would not would not pay attention, they would just kind of jog over down the court. It was basically no blood, no foul. <laughs> so it was more, it was less of like an organized basketball game and more just like a street fight between like twelve year old wimps. It was amazing. <laughs> you know, when I watched, I tried to watch Space Jam. I was. I think I was about 15 years old. I had never seen it, but I wanted to because Michael Jordan was, you know, a very big part Michael of my Jordan, life. Michael Jordan, yeah. And uh, the, the the time I watched it was the day I got all four of my wisdom teeth pulled out oh. with no anesthesia, just like a little happy gas. And did your I, dad do it? Like some pliers <laughs> or what? I don't know what what the deal was, but I just I didn't know any different. But I watched that jacked up on whatever I was on. So I literally don't remember anything, but I remember having a very bad feeling about that movie when I was done, <laughs> probably because of that pain and just blood pouring out of a numb mouth. Yeah. Maybe I should try that one again, too. Yeah, you might want to try yeah, that I've one I've never again. heard anybody say Space Jam was their favorite basketball movie. I like movies a lot. I mean, I, mean, I, I like Hoosiers. Um, oh, you do like it. It's just not your favorite. Yeah. Okay, that's and, cool. and I think, you know, I think Celtics Pride I would put on that list, too. That's ridiculous. It's <laughs> a, a goofy movie. It's yeah. a goofy movie. Fantastic. Well, gents, I think we've covered it all. Yeah, Matt, you just got here to Colorado. We'll have to uh, give you a few of our, our key spots to uh, eat at. Some great restaurants in town. Yeah, yeah. before you start bashing the pizza or whatever is famous back in Kansas City, actually, I don't know if we can compete with the barbecue. Yeah, barbecue. Don't, tr- don't try it. It's okay, though. You know, honestly, I've, I'm really impressed because here's the thing is I moved from Austin where like the Tex-Mex down there is like blow your mind good. And then mm. I moved to Kansas City where the Mexican food there makes me want to destroy things. I've had Midwest and, Mexican food. And, and they so, put like ketchup on it. I don't well, get it. Well, like, when it, it, the, big, the, the big thing for me is that they call the cheese dip queso. I'm like, okay, we're good. But uh, they're like, cheese dip. <laughs> Y'all want some cheese dip? Got it fresh out the can. Or liquid cheese. Liquid cheese. <laughs> like, you know, the, the, I mean, the... Saying that the chips taste like cardboard is an improvement. I mean, it's just a nightmare. The salsa is like ketchup. Yeah, you're right. So when I moved out here, like I tried to I'm, – I'm living north of Denver, and so I tried one of the places up there, and it just blew my mind how good it is. And there's actual taquerias. I'm just like, this place will work. Um, I actually had uh, Vietnamese today with my brother who lives here uh, and was blown away by a really great place up in Boulder. So It's crazy yeah, how Vietnamese the faux joints just pop it's up. blowing up. Everywhere. Man. Everywhere. And yeah. – uh, I don't think it's that hard to make, to be honest, but it's really good. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm just saying that your that your centuries old cuisine. Basically, I could do it in like ten minutes. <laughs> you know, I mean, really you're just sticking broth. meat. You're, just, you're sticking meat in water. What do you want? Like, are you Anthony Bourdain? What do you want? There you go. Matt Moore, it's been an absolute pleasure. I had a great time. So impressed. And uh, just a reminder. Everybody out there, check them out. CBSSports.com, uh, ProBasketballTalk.com, HardwoodParaxism.com, and find them on Twitter at HPBasketball. Real quick, Hardwood Paroxysm. Um, this is like the SAT word uh, title for a blog. Where'd you get this title? Uh, we were going to call it Upside Motor off of the, the, the quotes because we actually, every year we do, <laughs> we do the draft drinking game. Okay. Um, but 
it was taken on Blogspot back in the day. Uh, and so we were like, what are we going to do? And then I was there one night, and I was thinking about my favorite basketball moments, and there's two that always come to mind. Alonzo Mourning was my favorite player ever, and he hit a three and fell backwards in joy against the Celtics yeah. in his rookie year. And then the other one was, I love upsets. I always go for the underdog. And Dikembe Mutombo wow. with the Nuggets versus the Sonics fell backwards and holding onto the ball and crying with joy. Uh, I was like, that was like, a, I had always thought of the word uh, paroxysm as a fit. It was like, it was like real, exp- you know, just an absolute. You, know, you mm-hmm. can't control yourself. I looked it up in the dictionary, and the technical definition is like a fit of unbridled joy. And that was what I really liked about basketball is those moments when the money doesn't matter and the next season doesn't matter and the contract doesn't matter and how pissed off you are at your teammates. It's about that moment of really, you know, basketball is awesome and this amazing thing just happened. And so we named it Hardwood Paroxysm. I love it. That's awesome. It's a great story. And, Matt, you know, I really appreciate you coming on and doing this podcast with us, and I feel like – you know, our city has, has benefited and is going to benefit from having you here covering the Nuggets, you know, getting your take on the NBA, and hopefully we can have you on here a bunch more times. I'd, I'd love that. Anytime, guys. Anytime at all. Awesome. Timmons, like we do, episode 54, is it your grandma's birthday that we're going to dedicate this to? Mom? No, she just had cousin. her birthday. Mom's birthday is actually <laughs> – Two days from now, but that's not today. <laughs> right, to, and she's to, in Alaska on a cruise, so the you know, first she girl I ever French kissed is her birthday was yesterday. Oh, right. Oh, you want to throw her name out here? <laughs> <laughs> Laura. Laura. <laughs> oh, Laura. Um, well, so happy birthday, Mrs. Nate's mom. Mrs. Nate's mom, happy birthday to you. Peyton Manning, it was great to see him debut in a Broncos uniform. I will, oh, I'm, I will I'm wait. Sorry. We're, we, if we're dedicating this, you know who we have to dedicate this to. Who's that? Tim Tebow. It's his birthday. It is his it birthday. It is Tim Tebow's birthday? Yes. Is it you Christmas? You haven't seen the Christmas already? SportsCenter's done, done like 24-hour coverage of Tim Tebow's birthday. <laughs> I cut the cable on my – I cut the cord on my cable over a year ago. I haven't looked back. And uh, so I did not know that. But uh, all right, Tebow. Happy birthday to you, buddy. Thanks for good times, Tim. I'm so glad. I, I loved having him here. It was fun to talk about. But I got to say that I am – Happy to not have to deal with that anymore. Yeah. Just think about this, Ross. If he was still in Denver, SportsCenter would only be covering the Broncos. Peyton Manning, Tim Tebow, magic. That's fine. That's great. (laughs) That's good. All right, everybody. All right, man. Let's get out of here. We'll see you guys next week.